I invite you to remain standing as we read from the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke as we continue our series of sermons on the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. Let us hear these holy words. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting our, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. We again say a word of greeting this morning to all of you. We're thankful for your presence. I want you to be aware on the back of our order of service, you will see the paid in full information. It says down at the very bottom left-hand corner, that we have brought in so far $44,000 toward our goal of $317,000. I got the latest update from the finance office on Friday. We are at $58,590 with 105 giving units. That's families, individuals, or couples who have contributed so far. We wanna remind you and hope that you are in the process of participating in some kind of spiritual practice that enables you obviously to draw closer to God during the Lenten season, but also gives you an opportunity in a very special way to be a part of our church-wide effort to reduce our debt to zero. We are all working toward that goal and recognize if we don't have any debt, we have that much more money to contribute in a variety of ways to other ministries and other opportunities and other mission chances. So we hope you'll take advantage of that and participate. We're grateful you're here. Let us pray. O Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. Henry Nouwen was a world famous priest, author, speaker, and teacher. He was highly revered and respected for his understanding of Christian spirituality. Having written many books and given countless lectures, Nowen has been considered one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. He died about 25 years ago. Shortly before his death, he revealed how tormented he had been much of his life. He said, there is a dark side to me a side of me that says I should be forgotten and rejected and abandoned. Later after he died, many of his friends said Nowen was tormented because oftentimes he believed he was never loved. 
He said that people loved him because of what he did, not because of who he was. We all want to be loved, and we all want to be remembered, just as is the case with Henry Nouwen. All of us have a history in life where we have committed sin, and there is indeed a part of all of us that says we don't deserve what we get that there are times when we should be rejected and abandoned because of our sin, and yet we believe in a God who never does that. We believe in a God who was even hanging on a cross, who cried out in a very special way to one who didn't want to be forgotten. The criminal on the cross, one of them says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. No matter how wretched he may have been, no matter what his past looked like, just like the rest of us, he didn't want to be forgotten. He wanted to be remembered, particularly by God. As Jesus is writhing in pain on the cross, there are criminals on each side of him. Now, the Greek word for criminal literally means evildoers. These are two men who are being punished to death for whatever it is that they have done, we don't have any idea what they've done, but whatever it is, is a criminal offense, a capital offense. They are to be put to death along with Jesus, ironically, who is innocent. While Jesus is hanging there, one of the criminals on the cross berates our Lord. But the other one reminds the criminal who berates Jesus that they are there because of their deeds, what it is they have done. And he asked Jesus to remember him. In fact, interestingly enough, you will notice he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It is the only time in the New Testament where somebody refers to Jesus solely by his name, Sometimes he's referred to as Jesus and Master or Jesus and Lord, but in this particular instance, it is just the name Jesus. Most of the time, Jesus is referred to by a title. Lord, Master, Son of God, Son of Man, Rabbi. But in this particular instance, the one who is hanging on the cross calls Jesus by his name, a level of intimacy between the two as they are writhing in pain and dying, hanging on their respective crosses. William Willimon said, they said Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, now Jesus welcomes sinners and dies with them. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah spoke of one who was to come who would be known as the suffering servant, who would pay a heavy price for his people. We know that Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus himself, and Isaiah says that the one who is hanging would pour out himself even to death and be counted among the sinners. Here are two men who are evildoers who are dying along with Jesus, hanging on the cross. One acknowledges who Jesus is right away, and he acknowledges his own sin. Our deeds have brought us here, he says. 
We are getting what we deserve. The irony is that particular criminal does not get from Jesus what he deserves. Instead, he gets grace and salvation. It is an extraordinary thing to think about what it is Jesus accomplished while he was writhing in such pain, hanging on a cross as a common criminal. Here is one who comes to the defense of Jesus, this criminal. As one criminal berates Jesus, the other one comes to his defense. Interestingly enough, Jesus' closest companions, the disciples don't come to his defense because they're long gone. They're nowhere to be found. But you have a criminal whose past certainly would have been sorted, is the one who acknowledges who Jesus is, in a variety of ways, defending our Lord when others sneer at him and mock him. If you will notice in the passage of scripture that I read, there are three times in these short few verses where someone in some way says to Jesus as he is writhing in pain in a mocking fashion, save yourself if you are who you claim to be. One time it's the crowd. One time it's the Roman soldiers, and one time it is one of the criminals who was hanging with Jesus. And Jesus does not save himself, but he saves one of the criminals who is hanging on the cross with him. Because that criminal has acknowledged who Jesus is, even in the midst of all the suffering, See, Jesus had this extraordinary way, even to the point of death, of inviting himself into the life of people. Oftentimes, those people have a past. Oftentimes, those people are tainted and sinful, and yet Jesus' whole ministry revolved around that. You will recall an occasion when Jesus goes to a well for a drink of water. It is the middle of the day. People didn't go to the well for a drink of water in the middle of the day because it was too hot. And a man certainly didn't do that. That was a task left to a woman because it was a menial task. And while Jesus is there, he encounters a Samaritan woman who has been married numerous times and now she's living with someone who is not her husband and Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And by the time the conversation is over with, he has offered her living water. That is, he has offered himself to her. She runs home. She's the first evangelist, the first one to tell anybody about Jesus outside the Jewish community. And she tells her family, they're Samaritans. They're considered a mixed breed of people, inferior to any good Jew. And the next thing you know, that Samaritan family invites Jesus into their home. And even more shocking, Jesus accepts the invitation he sleeps in their home. He eats with them. Those sordid, kind of messed up, dirty people in the eyes of any good Jew, Jesus associated with. And when they invited him into their lives, he accepted. And sometimes he invited himself into the life of people others frowned upon. Remember, Jesus is in a crowd of people. And there's one named Zacchaeus, who's a wee little man who cannot see Jesus. So he climbs up, as we know, into a sycamore tree so he can see Jesus coming. He would have been in the crowd of people at his own peril because he was a tax collector, a turncoat, a trader. 
And as Jesus passes by, he does something that is almost unimaginable, almost unconscionable. He looks up at Zacchaeus, this hated, reviled tax collector, and Jesus invites himself into the home of Zacchaeus. And when he does that, Zacchaeus says, if I have robbed anybody of anything, I will pay them back multiple times for what it is I have taken. Zacchaeus' life is changed because Jesus invites himself into the life of Jesus. I mean, into his own life, that is correct. Now that's fascinating to me. How often Jesus came into the presence of those others had nothing to do with. On one occasion, he is walking along and there is a man by the name of Levi, also known as Matthew, the writer of what we know to be the gospel of Matthew, who is before he is a gospel writer, also a tax collector. And Jesus comes into the presence of Levi and Levi invites Jesus into his home. And remember the religious establishment sneers at that. You know why? Because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus has the audacity to eat with people when he is invited into their lives. To eat with someone was a sign of reconciliation, a sign of redemption. What Jesus is doing by eating with those people is saying, I accept you. You're one of mine. But they're awful people. They're wretched people. How can Jesus do that? He did it all the time. He does it while he's hanging on a cross. And sometimes I don't like that. Sometimes I just don't like the way Jesus behaves towards those kinds of people. But his love is so great and so powerful and so mighty, even the most wretched and horrible of people whose pasts are so tainted and so awful, who have hurt so many people, just like this criminal, have a chance at grace and salvation too. Now, I got to tell you, I just struggle with that sometimes. You know what that means literally, and it's hard for me to even say this. It means that if Adolf Hitler or Saddam Hussein or Vladimir Putin claim Jesus Christ as Lord before they die, they receive salvation, the gift of grace, and I have a hard time even stomaching that. But I'm not God, and it's not my call. And we believe in a God whose love and grace and forgiveness and mercy is greater than any sin committed by anyone. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around that sometimes. Jesus tells a parable. There's a man who owns a field. He needs people to work in his field. So early in the morning he goes out and he gets some laborers and he tells them, I'm going to pay you a fair day's wage. He goes back about 10 o'clock in the morning, gets another crew. About noon, he gets another crew. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he gets another crew. And finally, just a few minutes before quitting time, he invites another crew to go out and work. And when it's time to pay everyone, he starts with those who only worked a matter of minutes. And he gives them a full day's wage. And then when he gets to those who have worked all day long, he pays them the same thing. He paid those who only worked a matter of minutes. And obviously those who have worked all day long say, wait a minute, this isn't fair. This isn't right. And the owner of the field said, I told you I would give you a fair day's wage and I've done what I said I would do. And you don't have any right to argue with me. It's my field. I can do what I want. You know what that's a story about? It's a story about you and me and God. 
It's a story about those of us who try to be faithful our whole life, all life long. We try to do the right thing. We try to be faithful and we will receive the gift from God. And then there are going to be those who sneak under at the 11th hour and they get the same thing. That doesn't seem fair or that's not right, but it's not fair and right. It's grace. It's salvation. And God is the one who distributes it as God sees fit. And in this particular instance, you have an evildoer, a criminal hanging on a cross who calls Jesus by his intimate given name, who acknowledges who Jesus is, who acknowledges his own sin, his own failures. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the kind of love God has for us that God will wait till the 11th hour. We can sneak in at the last moment if necessary. We don't wait intentionally till the last hour. We're called to be faithful right now. But there are people out there who for whatever reason choose not to be. But if they do, God says to them, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now here's what's extraordinary. Remember this criminal says, Jesus, Remember me, please don't forget me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember above his head, it says the king of the Jews, but everybody is sneering at Jesus and spitting on him and laughing at him. If you can save anyone, save yourself. Come on down from that cross. But Jesus doesn't come down from the cross you can't be a king unless you have a kingdom. And this criminal says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That means he knows that Jesus is the king. Oftentimes in scripture, the most wretched of people, the ones who have been ostracized and alienated, the outcast, the dirty, the marginalized, know exactly who Jesus is. And in this particular instance, it's a pretty bad guy. But the love of Christ is greater than any of his sin. And he is invited to be a part of the kingdom. Even at the 11th hour, even at the very last moment, even as he is breathing his last breath, listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We believe in a God who is so incredibly patient with us, God will wait if necessary for our last breath to claim him as Lord. And if that is the case, then guess what? Like those who have been faithful for a lifetime, all along, they too receive the same benefit, the same reward, the same gift. It is called salvation and it is extended to us by the grace of God, whose grace is greater as we sing than all our sin. Today you will be with me in paradise. That's what Jesus says. See, in that culture, paradise, everybody knew what that was. That was the king's garden. Paradise was a place 
of unrivaled beauty and tranquility. It was the king's garden. Everybody knew what paradise was, but it is a euphemism in this case for heaven. Today, you're going to be with me in heaven. You get to go where the good faithful people get to go, even though you've been faithful for a matter of minutes. Early in my ministry, I was in a church that, as I've mentioned before, had an AIDS care team. We cared for gay people with AIDS. We cared for heterosexual people with AIDS. We cared for men. We cared for women. We cared for children. There was one woman in particular who had been attacked by a man, contracted AIDS, passed it on to her husband unknowingly and two of her children. She, by the time we were in relationship with her, was very close to death. She was a Hispanic woman that did not speak English. I had a woman in my congregation who was Hispanic and spoke fluent English, and so I went to see this woman in the hospital. And I took this member of my congregation along with me to translate. We arrived in the hospital room, and through translation, I spoke with her, shared with her about our love for her and that we had been praying for her and for her family. And then suddenly she raised up out of the bed. She turned to the Hispanic woman who was translating and she spoke to her. Then that woman turned to me and said, she would like for you to leave the hospital room. I said, okay, have I said something to offend her? She said, John, please leave. I walked out of the hospital room a little concerned. Had I said something to offend a dying woman? She was very close to death. I couldn't live with that. Had I said something in some way that upset her greatly? And I waited and I waited and I waited in the hallway. And finally, my church member came out and she said, I just had an extraordinary conversation. And I said, well, can you tell me why it is she asked me to leave the room? She said she wanted to talk to me about Jesus and me alone. She said she just gave her life to Jesus Christ. She has just claimed him as Lord. And my translator said, and you do believe, John, don't you? No matter what her past is like, because that was part of the congregation, uh, conversation and part of the reason I was asked to leave the room. John, you know, despite what her past was like, she is going to receive the gift of salvation. You know that, right? And I said, yes, I do. See, here's a dying woman, a matter of days to live, who has some kind of sordid past. I don't know anything about her past. She would die a few days later, who shortly before her own death claimed Jesus Christ as Lord, and God said to her, today you'll be with me in paradise. We believe in a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, a God of extraordinary patience who wants all of us, as Peter said, to come to salvation. And Jesus Christ, as he's writhing in pain, unimaginable pain, hanging on a cross next to two thugs, as some versions say, is berated by one of them. But the other one says, please remember me. 
You're a king. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. I'm here because I deserve to be here for what I've done. And in Jesus' own way, he says, I don't care if you deserve it or not. You're not going to get what you deserve. You get me instead, and you get me forever. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. Wherever we are in life, whatever it is we're going through, we believe in a God whose love is bigger than any sin committed by anyone. And that's hard sometimes to wrap our head around. But thank God for that because that means that the grace that God has to provide is even extended to someone who can at times be as wretched as I can be. It's the gift given to all of us. The gift of grace, the gift of salvation. It's never too late as long as we breathe. Today, says Jesus, in paradise. Hallelujah. Amen.